welcome to Lion and Mouse Commentary. We're your hosts, Tori. And Holland. Two best friends as different as a lion and a mouse. Today we're reviewing Top Gun Maverick, and we'll be ranking it on an objective scale from 0 to 10, with only two points allotted for personal taste. Feel free to agree, disagree, or just learn about something new. Be sure to tread lightly, because there are spoilers ahead. Cut to the intro! For our new listeners, we'll be breaking down the scoring system by category as we go. But as always, the full breakdown is available on our website. So let's get started. I chose today Top Gun Maverick. This is familiar to both of us. You say that like you don't ever choose. It's like you chose that you choose every other episode. I know, but I get excited about it. Okay. (laughs) This is familiar to both of us, but we did go watch it again together. Um, this is a movie from 2022, so I think this might be our most recent thing of media that we've done on, on the podcast so far. Um, so, some facts about this. So, it was released May 27th, 2022 by Paramount. It was directed by Joseph Kaczynski. The story was done by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. Um, they had lots of producers, four. They had Tom Cruise, Jerry Breckheimer, Christopher McQuarrie, and David Ellison, Running time of 130 minutes. Their budget was 170 million. So far, their box office is 1.442 billion dollars. Crazy. It stars Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Ed Harris. Those are the top six build cast, but there is quite a wide cast, so kudos to everybody. Uh, the synopsis that I pulled off Wikipedia is um, after more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Maverick Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him. Training a detachment of graduates for a special assignment, Maverick must confront the ghosts of his past and his deepest fears, culminating in a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those who choose to fly it. So, that's all the facts. Holland, why don't you kick us off? All right. So, I feel like we need some kind of, like, fun aviator term for, like, you know, like, well, let's get ready for takeoff or something <laughs> stupid like that. <laughs> clear for flight. Yep. <laughs> we are clear for taxi and clear for takeoff. No, don't, don't do that. Um, so, first category is plot and story delivery. Two possible points for this category. So... I don't want Tori to be upset because Tori really likes this movie. I gave this only one point out of two for plot and story delivery. Okay. And it's not because I think it's a bad plot. I actually think it's a, a very interesting plot and it's, um, you know, we'll cover other topics, but just for plot. I had to think of it just for the plot. I just think in general, it's a really engaging plot like the story delivery is really good but the plot is is pretty standard for this kind of movie um i think some good things i think are really compelling with this plot is you know the stakes kind of start with the plot when ed harris's character is talking to tom cruise about how pilots are all going to drones we're having drone pilots we're not having real pilots we don't need to do stunt you know high flying 
kind of stunt-esque techniques anymore. That's just going the way of the dinosaur. We're moving into just, you know, unmanned aircraft. Um, But then it kind of turns. And now the plot is about Tom Cruise training these best of the best pilots to do this really important mission. The concept of... The reason I didn't give it full two points. The concept of here's the best of the best. The the grand master is now going back to the school to teach the next generation all of this knowledge he knows has been done thousands of times. It's just a very common plot device. It's not bad. I think this movie is one of the movies that does it really, really well. But it's just kind of a rinse and repeat plot line to have. Um, The fact that it's, you know, the other thing about the plot in general, kind of backing up a little bit, is that this movie is a true sequel. I like that. It's not a reboot. It's not a rehash. It's not a story where they're trying to retell the original Top Gun with new actors and then, oh, Tom Cruise makes a cameo because remember him? He was the original Maverick. And now we have this random TikTok star as Maverick. (laughs) Like, I like that that's not what we got. We got, this is really Tom Cruise. This is really him. However many years after the events of the first film and we're moving forward. I, I think that's great. I think that in delivering the story, it's done really well. The beginning of the movie opens with that Top Gun script that explains to you what Top Gun is. You got the shots of the aircraft carrier. Like all of this is kind of gearing you up for what kind of movie you're about to get into. Um, I know that could kind of fall into aesthetics, but I really think it tells the story. It tells the viewer what they're about to watch. So I, I kind of put that in. Um, story delivery. You know, we see shots of Maverick in his hangar with the photos from the original film, his old jacket. Um, it tells you exactly what you're what you're getting into. Um, I think that from the beginning to when Maverick um, kind of crashes the plane, if you will, and then ends up in the diner, from that that point, it reestablishes who Maverick is as a character and it tells you like, okay, this is the guy that you're going to be following for the rest of the story. Like it's his story that you're following. And you kind of get to see like, who is this main character and why should I be rooting for him? You see that he, you know, is, and then he immediately gets like slapped on the wrist for, for doing that. It just reestablishes his, him and his story and kind of segues into him being that Top Gun instructor. So that that telling of the story is done really well. And it immediately gets you engaged into rooting for Tom Cruise's character. All of that to say the overall unfolding of the setup is very linear. It's very easy to follow. The pacing of the plot is really well done. There's not any part that really feels like it's lulling or you're bored or the action scene went on too long. Um, The final act of the story when, um, you know, Iceman dies and then Tom Cruise's Maverick, I'm going to call him Tom Cruise probably for this whole episode, (laughs) you know, he's grounded and then he flies the course showing that it can be done because John John Hamm's character is saying, you know, we're changing all the rules, you know, Maverick's pushing you guys too hard. And then he just is like, well, then fine, I'll do it myself. I think all of that is really good. Like, that's a really good plot, but it's all very 
like repetitive as far as the typical kind of movie plot. Like the plot. formula? Yeah, the formula yeah. is just very, very overused. I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing in this film because I think we've seen a lot of movies go away from this really simple plot. Um, but those kinds of tropes and concepts, I just feel like they're a little overused. They're done really well. This, again, the story delivery is really well, but kind of the plot in general is what's kind of overused. So things like, you know, Tom Cruise shows up and he's like, here's the book. You guys know everything. And he throws it in the trash. And he's like, we're not going to use the book. We're going to focus on instincts. Like, that. how many times have you heard that in a movie? Like, a million. He's right. I mean, you trust him because you just saw him go to Mach 10 and 10.2 in this. Crazy man. Yeah, but... Now he's like, you got to look out for your wingman. I do think, though, why I didn't, you know, give it a lower score than one is the fact that Maverick as a character is coming from this place of the events of the first film. It gives more weight to why the why behind this movement, this direction of the plot. Um, like the students versus the teacher, they have to do push-ups. They can't do the maneuvers that he can do. He's dogfighting with them. Um, the fact that Hangman's like first or second scene, he's got a toothpick in his mouth sitting at the, <laughs> the desk. The fact that um, in the bar, Rooster's the only one not in uniform. He's wearing this Hawaiian shirt and aviator sunglasses. Even the beach scene, which I know got a lot of love from fans. Female fans, right. specifically. <laughs> right. Um, all of those just are very, very overused. And so I don't think that this story does a poor job of telling these storylines. It does an excellent job of telling them, but... For a plot overall, it's not overly innovative, if if you will. Um, but I do think it has some very good points. I think that it does a good job of the stakes. It's showing you the stakes of the plot at the beginning with this kind of simulated land nav um, and the you know the surface to air missiles and the time crunch they have for this mission that they're going to do. You kind of get to know and see visually like what that is at the beginning, so you know that these are pretty high stakes. Um, the kind of in the third act of the film, you know, Maverick goes back to save Rooster. Um, and then Rooster goes back to save Maverick, you know, so they are learning what their teacher taught them at the beginning of the film, that you have to look out for your wingman, you know, so I like that they follow through with this plot, that they've, they've chosen this direction of the plot, they've moved in that direction, and then they've, it's compelling and they follow through in a compelling way. They kind of tie it up with a nice bow at the end. Um, a couple, like, minor things that I think are really positive, it's, it's, appears, I know there are a lot of YouTube videos out there with real, you know, Top Gun graduates and fighter Navy fighter pilots reviewing kind of the technicalities. Um, so, but is, as far as my perspective is, it just seems very authentic with the military technology, the protocol, the way that they, you know, want Tom Cruise to write up his lesson plan for the day and, and submit things in writing and, you know, the, the drones versus pilots in the seat, the, um, 
you know, when he wants to change the hard deck, the exercises, the allowable maneuvers, the fact they have to get written permission for things, the lack of dogfighting, how that's changed in the military, you know, as far as military technology goes, it's not air-to-air combat, it's air-to-land, dropping bombs on things, and then, of course, it kind of ties again, like, follows through, ties up nicely with the fact that the story kind of ends with a dogfight. So, I think that it's really good portrayal of kind of the modern military and how the military's changed from the first film in the 80s and how the military is today in 2022. But over and overall, the kind of overall message that Maverick gives to kind of his students, where he's saying that, you know, you've all signed up. In, in, a, in a way, I like the message that Maverick kind of puts this internal pressure on his students is like, you've signed up and you're willing to give your life, but are you, you need to be careful that you're not giving up the life of your fellow pilot because you can sacrifice your own life. He doesn't say this in the, in the movie, but the kind of mentality. But he kind of does. There's that scene where he's like, you know, you failed in this way. Why? The student gives an answer. And then he says, yeah, but what's your excuse that his family will accept at the funeral? Right. And so he kind of in a way does like say outright, like you, every decision you make affects your wingman or right. anybody else. And their in family. Mission. Right. And, and it's just, it's very compelling and compellingly told that Maverick is saying this to students while the son of, his friend who died mm-hmm. is in this class. Right. So I think that the, you know, that aspect of the plot, the conflict between uh, Maverick and Rooster is very compelling. The kind of high stakes of the mission, the changing military, how Maverick has been progressing in the military. All, all of that is really, really good. I just think there's a lot of aspects of the plot that are just kind of over overused and overplayed. They're still told really well, but... That's why I only give it one point out of two, so kind of 50% of the points allotted um, is is why I gave it that score. Okay. Um, for me, for plot and story delivery, I gave it full two out of two points. I want to say I don't disagree with any of the points that you've made. That's I fine. just see them differently. Um, yeah, so yeah. I also want to give a, a quick fun fact to the listeners. When me and Holland were preparing for this um, episode, we literally went to the movie theater with our our score sheets, which will be scanned into the website, and we sat in the back row and we used our phones and flashlights to write all of our notes in the dark in yeah. the movie theater. So that's how we prepared for this. So, you know, we're just... willing to do that. If you want to give us suggestions for stuff <laughs> yeah. to do, like we will go see something in the theaters if it's still out anyway. So anyway, that was just a, a quick note before I jump in. So, <coughs> excuse me. So I gave it full points because I think that having a movie with a clear objective and straightforward delivery is more uncommon now in 2022 than it's ever been. And sure, the formula is familiar, but I don't find it at this juncture of movie making and sort of the trend that movies have been taking over the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years. Um, I think it's refreshing to kind of strip away and get back to a familiar formula and to do it effectively and um, concisely. And I think that's exactly what they do with this film. I 
have been so tired recently of movies that have all this fluff and unresolved extra things and just, uh, you know, just extras, just extras. I'm tired of extras. Um, I, it feels like sometimes I go into a movie and it's just so artsy and I have to like wade through all of this stuff to get to like the core of what this movie's trying to tell me. And I think that sort of film has its time and place, but because I feel like so many films are trying so hard to be artsy, it's becoming trendy to do that. And it's almost outnumbering just clean storytelling. And so because, and this movie comes out and I see it and that is what we get. We just get clean storytelling and it feels refreshing to me. And that's why I was so excited and why I wanted to pick this because um, it just felt so new, but not being, without being new. And I know that sounds really hard to describe because it is, um, but hopefully the rest of my notes will kind of help uh, organize my thoughts to be understood. I think the one good thing about this movie is that I think you can very easily follow the plot, even if you've never seen this first movie. And like you said, this is a direct sequel, but I think you can walk into Top Gun Maverick having never seen Top Gun in your entire life and still appreciate it. I genuinely believe that to be the case. I think you can enjoy it, <laughs> but I don't think you can really appreciate it accurately. I think that knowing, like I saw the first movie a long time ago and full disclosure I was not a huge fan of the original movie but if you don't know what Maverick and uh Goose's relationship was like and the process in which he died and his relationship with Iceman you miss you would miss a lot in this movie the, and the flashbacks, I think, do a good job of kind of say, refreshing your memory, but I don't think it works as a good supplement. So this might be one point that we just disagree on, because I feel like the inclusion of the flashbacks and photos and the way that you see Maverick treat Iceman and, by extension, Rooster through the film gives you all the context you need. That's my genuine opinion about this. And you can disagree with me, it's fine. But I think that you do not necessarily need the context of having seen the first movie in order to enjoy and understand the context of the relationships that have been established in the first movie through this one. So, um, I think that uh, kind of on that note, um, we get a lot of foreshadowing about Rooster in the beginning. Um, in a lot of the establishing, just the establishing shots of the movie. And we see Maverick in uh, sort of the hangar, like working on his plane or whatever. And he walks by the pictures and, you know, there's pictures of him and Goose and, um, you know, like really the whole team of pilots that you have there. And, and you do see kind of all of those other characters. And maybe you don't know their names or remember them or whatever, but you, you get this very clear picture that like these were important people to Maverick and in a way I feel like you sort of get the understanding that Maverick is still kind of like holding on to those glory days um he still just wants to be a pilot like that's really his only goal in life is just to be a fantastic pilot for the Navy um and that's made very evident very early in the movie um I also think that 
um, the relationship uh, with Iceman is kind of um, consistent, I think, through the whole movie. We don't see Iceman until about halfway, I'd say, but we see these scenes of conversations between Iceman and Maverick, um, and you don't really understand uh, the gravity, I guess, of Iceman's situation until the scene where Maverick goes to his home to visit him. And then you kind of realize, like, oh my gosh, like, Iceman is not doing well. Um, you know, he's dealing with a ton of really serious health problems. Um, and you, you see the gravity of that just in the, like, establishing shots of Maverick with Iceman's wife and like those just small moments. Um, and I think that scene in particular is placed at such a great place in the movie because it shifts the momentum for the second half of the movie. Um, and I think that scene is really important for the momentum of the second half of the movie, particularly because Iceman tells Maverick one thing and it sort of like just changes the whole perspective of Maverick. And since Maverick is our protagonist, um, we are seeing a lot of the story kind of from his perspective. And so when Iceman tells Maverick in that scene, you have to let go, something shifts. Something shifts for Maverick. And I think um, because of that, uh, that second half of the movie just kind of flows from that sort of I wouldn't call it a motivation, but it's just like a change in perspective in Maverick. And so everything else kind of like domino effects from that. And I think it's really good. And I think the pacing is really good. Really from the beginning of the movie, the pacing is really good. And I think that there's a lot of really heavy things in this movie, but I think that it's tossed very nicely like a salad with humor and like other lighthearted moments. Because any movie that has weighty moments... If there's too much gravity, then the gravity loses its its effect anyway. Um, so I feel like you kind of have to have moments of levity in order for those gravity those those weighty moments to to have the gravity that they should. And I think that this mo movie does that really well. Um, kind of going into the very end of the movie, so I think you kind of have all of this built tension going into the mission, and by the time the mission is here you are tense. Um, the first time I saw this movie in the theater, I was with my family and I got so tense about this mission. I was wearing a sweatshirt and I had to take it off in the theater because I was so nervous watching this movie. And it's been a long time, I think, since I felt that like emotionally invested that I felt like I was in their shoes. And like, I'm sitting in a theater shoving popcorn into my mouth. I'm obviously not in the shoes of these characters, but the way that they just had built everything to that point, um, like my immersion was just all in. I was just all in for this. And that being said, at the very end, success is acquired. And I think as a viewer, you feel genuine triumph with your characters. And it's been, and not to say that I, this doesn't happen to me, but I think it, it's been a while since I've watched a new movie, a movie that's new to me, and felt 
the like relief that like those characters must be feeling like now I feel like I can breathe like I can put my shoulders down they've been touching my earlobes for the last 30 minutes of the movie and now I feel like I can breathe again and that's exactly what happened to me the first time I watched this movie and it happened again when we watched it together like I knew what was going to happen I'd seen the film but I'd still you still have these moments where you're like you know you're just like maybe not literally but you're like kind of on the edge of the seat you know just like rooting for these characters like come on come on you can do this like you know please 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 come through even when you know what's going to happen it's like you still have that emotional grip um kind of into that and and so i found it very satisfying i felt like the delivery was just everything i wanted um out of a movie and honestly to be a hundred percent transparent i did not expect this movie to be the movie that would be the one that gripped me like this story-wise. So uh, I was surprised, honestly, that Top Gun Maverick of all things was like the movie that I'd come out of and be like, wow, I was impressed. But here we are. So because of that, I know I rambled for a little bit, but two out of two full points for plot and story delivery. All right, all right. All right, next category is characters. Total possible points for this category is three, and I gave this two out of three points. So... Some of this, the kind of one of the largest reasons that I kind of didn't give it full points, I almost covered when we talked about plot, but I'm going to actually use it. I think I I used it more in my assessment of the characters. Um, So uh, first of all, I think the casting and the acting in this movie is just, it it couldn't be more perfect. Like it's so good. Every character feels like they fit. The acting is just done really, really well. Huge props to Miles Teller. I mean, he's a great actor anyways, but I feel like most people haven't seen him in a lot of movies before this one. That was me. Honestly, I think the only thing I'd ever seen Miles Teller in before this was like the first Divergent movie. Yeah. And like, I didn't like his character at all. (laughs) I I feel like he's been in some pretty underwhelming movies, like the Divergent film, the Fantastic Four Oh, reboot. I forgot he was in that. Um, he was in the movie Whiplash, which was actually critically well acclaimed. But I, I feel like he hasn't been in enough to really highlight his acting ability. And he does a great job in this movie. I was very impressed. Um, the other pilots, I'm going to touch on them first. They are such stereotypical fighter pilots. I mean, I, I am pretty familiar with the uh, kinds of people that become pilots particularly fighter pilots is like times a thousand you know the the there's kind of a running joke that like how do you know when a pilot enters the room he'll tell you what's the difference between god and a fighter or god and a pilot god doesn't claim to be a pilot i mean that's that's those are the jokes but that's the kind of ego that you really have to have to make it as a pilot. And those are the kind that's the ego of the kind of people who become pilots because the training is extremely rigorous. It's a very difficult job and you have to be 100% confident in yourself at all times because you're manipulating a billion dollar aircraft in extremely dangerous situations. I think the portrayal of those characters is just done really well. Um, you know, Hangman is kind of this obnoxious semi-villain. He does a great job at being that really unlikable, cocky, arrogant student who thinks he's better than everybody else. That I mean, that's just typical. Like, that's not an uncommon person 
to be in this kind of setting. So I think that that's really good. Bob as the weapon specialist, I'm sure he's a fan favorite character. I know this movie hasn't been out very long at the time of this recording. It's not at the time of this recording. It's not yet on digital media. Um, so it's, I think it might still be in theaters. I think it still is as of this recording. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he having Bob as a character in that mix kind of eases that overall bravado of these pilot characters. Um, I think that was a really smart choice to make in the character development of these students. But he's also like fantastic at his job and you still believe him. Right, you right. He just doesn't have that kind of cocky egotistical attitude. Right. He so he kind of mellows out the rest of those individuals that yeah. are kind of competing for you know, they're competing to be placed on a really high stakes mission. Like this is what they've trained for. I think it's just a really well portrayal. You know, I hate to lump all of them together because all of those actors do just an excellent job. Um, but I kind of wanted to touch on just the fact that it's just done very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be very hard to do that very well if it wasn't cast and acted so flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Maverick, of course, is our protagonist. I think it's great. Just from the opening, you see who he is, what his character is, the kind of man that he is. You know, he gets to the point just right in that first scene. If they don't make this aircraft perform the way it needs to perform, they're going to shut the whole program down. All these people are going to lose their jobs. And he's so confident in his own ability He's willing to just go ahead and do it. They can't stop us. Let's get out of there before they stop us. You know, so that setting him up as that character from the beginning, and then he carries that mentality where he's really caring about the other people he's with. It's not really about making the Navy happy, or he wouldn't still be, he wouldn't be a captain flying. He would have been an admiral by now. You know, they mentioned that in the film. So it's not about... You know, obviously he wants to do good for the Navy, but it's about the people he's in the Navy with. And they establish that straight from straight from the get-go, and then that follows him throughout the rest of the film. I think it's just, it's a wonderful character quality, and you, it really makes you root for him as a character. Uh, Rooster, I think they establish very early on that his dad influenced him. Even Absolutely. though he was really young when his mm-hmm. dad died, that his dad's influence has been in his life and continued in his life. I know it's kind of an homage to the character of Goose that he kind of shows up in the bar and he's playing great balls of fire. And, you know, it's in a way it could have been played off as fan service, but I think that they did a really good job at making that an integral part of his character. I agree. I think that Rooster's character that he's so mad at Maverick for pulling his papers at the academy and slowing his career down by four years. It's a genuine point of anger and it's a valid point of anger for him. It doesn't, you, you realize he's not mad at Maverick for his dad's death, which could have been the easiest, right. easiest route to go is mm-hmm. that he's pissed off at Maverick because his dad's dead and it's all Maverick's fault. That I feel like that would almost be just the, the easiest way out, almost a cop-out of right. his character. Right. And instead, he's mad that Maverick slowed his career for what he saw as no reason. And honestly, like, for Miles Teller as an actor, it would have been an easier choice to be mad at Maverick because you watched my dad die, you know? And, like, you were involved in that. 
but I think it's a te another testament to Miles Teller as an actor that he, they give him the more difficult point of anger and he still pulls it off in such a way that that conflict feels very real and palpable throughout the film. Yeah. And I think they do a great job at with um, Rooster as a character because he has this moment where he's confronting Maverick and he says to him, my dad believed in you. And you just see in Rooster and in Maverick their reaction to that, just the weight of that statement. And how, um, you know, there's a lot of tension between Rooster and Maverick. And yet... At the end of the story, Maverick learns, or excuse me, Rooster learns what Maverick taught him, which was one, to trust his instincts and, um... Think not, or do, do don't think. Right. To trust his instincts. And the other, uh, he learned to look out for his wingman and he goes back to save Maverick. So you are still, you're acknowledging the tension of both Maverick and Rooster, but you're still rooting for both of them. You know, right. it doesn't make either of them unlikable characters. Yeah. The various admirals in the in the film, I think, are really good. It's a realist, again, like I already kind of touched on it, very realistic approach to the military. You know, they have their rules and protocols to follow. They're trying to keep people safe. And here Maverick is just upsetting the status quo of the military. Um, I think that's, you know, just done really well. But yet they still acknowledge that Maverick's talent is pretty unmatched and his skill is pretty unmatched. Iceman, of course, like you already kind of touched on him and, and, you know, I agree with pretty much everything you've already kind of touched on. Val Kilmer does a great job. I love that you constantly are seeing from the beginning his support of Maverick and his, um, not just his like emotional support for Maverick, but his career support for Maverick. He got him that job. He recommended him from that job. Like you kind of already touched on, he tells Maverick it's time to let go. And then he also says, you know, the, you know, Maverick says that, you know, that's not what I am. It's who I am. I can't teach that. It's not what the Navy wants. And Iceman says to him, it's what the Navy needs. You know, right. so even not just encouraging him on a personal level by saying it's time to let go, but saying that the Navy needs you. He's still an asset to right. the Navy. Right. Yeah. Where everybody's <laughs> telling him he's a dinosaur and the Navy's moved on and moved past his skill set. Um, one of the biggest reasons I kind of took off a... a 33% of the scoring for characters. And I don't think it's a poor character. I just think it's kind of pointless is the character of Penny. I think mm. that she, okay. yeah, she gives some kind of like emotional support and stability to Maverick. I get that she's like the love interest for this movie, but is, do we really need that in this film? Like if you took Penny out of the movie would there be any difference? I mean, I think that, yeah, I guess you could argue that, you know, Maverick says at one point in the film, I don't have anybody, I'm all alone. And it's like, well, he now has Penny. He's not all alone. He has some reason to come home and some reason to stay alive. Like, but do you really need that? Like, I think that they could have very easily, in, in regards to plot and the characters, kind of wrapped all of that necessity into his relationship with Rooster, you know, that, that not in a romantic way, but it's like Rooster ha doesn't have a father figure. And there's kind of this insinuation that Maverick kind of wanted to be that surrogate father 
to look out for and take care of Rooster because his dad wasn't there, you know? So, so he it, pretty much all but says that at yeah, one point in the film. Too. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that, and, and Penny just as a character, is just kind of odd for me. I remember watching it and feeling like, okay, she clearly has this history with Maverick. Like they, she shows up on screen and they already know each other and they go back. They have some kind of history together, but was I supposed to remember that from the first movie? No, she doesn't like, exist in the first no, movie. No, she doesn't. But it it's almost like, I, I don't know. It just, to me, it just doesn't feel like it fits as well as the rest of the characters fit into the plot. I actually have no notes about Penny at all in my characters. But I would say that the character of Penny does serve a purpose, but it really has nothing to do with Penny. Um, I think her purpose really just thinking about it right now in the spur of the moment, I think her purpose is simply to show us who Maverick is outside of the military. Because she isn't in the military. And so I think all of the moments that we see between Maverick and Penny is just the man that Maverick would be if you extract, and you can't fully extract the Navy out of him. Of course, it influences him a lot in, in a lot of his decisions and kind of just how he conducts himself. But I think it's just to give us moments of like the humanity of Maverick minus the military. Um, does it serve that purpose 100%? Well, maybe not. And is she kind of a boring character? Perhaps. But I think just kind of thinking about it in the spur of the moment, that would be my argument as is she's really more of a plot device or character device for Maverick than she is of herself. Yeah, and I just think that that because the other characters are just so well done, she just falls, like, obviously falls flat by I do comparison. agree with that. Yeah. So, and the other thing I kind of, like, even the fact that, that really just felt really out of place to me was why was she invited to Iceman's funeral? He's the commander of the Pacific Fleet, and here she is, like, first or second row at his funeral? She, who, what? What? They like, couldn't get enough extras to fill the seats. Right. So they or it's had to like, call her in. I mean, she's not married to Maverick. It's not like she's his spouse there. Like, did she get an invitation? Like, did she just show up? Did Maverick just bring her along as his plus one? I mean, that seems really, like, improper. I, you know, so it's like just the fact that's just kind of like a little snapshot, to, in my opinion, of how she just doesn't really fit. Okay. Also, like, she... As I made a note, like, she wins the perfect hair award after <laughs> riding on that motorcycle or or whatever that they were doing. They're on the beach, like, yeah. they're saying goodbye, and her hair just looks so nice. And I'm yeah. like, I've been to the beach. I have long hair. My hair don't look that good at the beach. Yeah. So I just, for that reason, just not the fact that she's... I mean, the actress is Jennifer Connelly that plays yes. her. Yes. Jennifer Connelly does a great job. She's a great character in the sense that she's portrayed very well. She's likable. She's, you know, seems like a great fit for Maverick in a romantic relationship. But her but, contribution to the plot. But do we need her? Like, right. So for that reason, I put that in characters rather than plot because I feel like as a whole, I can't really knock her but I just think that it's like, why is she here? So for that reason, two out of three points for characters for me. Okay, fair. Um, I have three out of three points for characters. 
again, I have no notes about Penny. She did not influence my ranking at all. That's how unimportant That's she That's how is. unimportant <laughs> she was. Um, so maybe she should have influenced my ranking, but honestly, I didn't really think about her at all while <laughs> I was making these notes. Um, first note, everything is acted so impeccably well. Kudos to the casting team because every pilot, um, you know, of course you have all of the characters that return from the first movie. So obviously that casting is consistent and I, I enjoy it, but there was nobody in the core cast of characters that I would see on screen and be like, you know what? They're not really keeping up, you know, even the characters that don't get that many lines or screen time, like, you know, you, there's, what, 12, I think, like, pilots and, 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 um, total that are in the class, and really there's only, like, six core yeah. ones, so you have these other six that have names, and they may have a line or two, or, you know, you see them in the class, you get, you know, quick, but, like, even those people who really didn't have lines or, or huge contribution to the plot, they still fit, you know, you still kind of believed that they were there, and, 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 you know, even, you hate to say it, but, like, you know, they're on the beach, you've got all these reaction shots or whatever, and it's like, they're still holding their own, even though they may not have as much, you know, they're no rooster, you know, or hangman even, and, but they're still holding their own. So it's like, I, I look at the, the group of, you know, pilots in the class, and I'm like, you know, I think everybody here is doing well. They're all on the same level here. Um, Bob is my favorite, yes, fan favorite. I am a fan of Bob. Great character, I agree with what you said, that he kind of, like, helps balance the bravado that we get as kind of across the board with all of the pilots. Um, I don't know if this is gonna be a hot take or not, but this was just a thought I had. I think that you have kind of two sides of Maverick, um, at Top Gun. You have Pilot Maverick, and then you have Teacher Maverick. And they are different sides of Maverick without contradicting each other. But I believe that Pilot Maverick is a little bit of a greedy pilot. Um, he knows he's good. And so we see that at the very beginning. He's pushing this plane past Mach 10 because he just wants to be that much better. You know, he's a little bit of a greedy pilot, but I think that teacher Maverick is a bit more likable because as the plot progresses, we see how much investment Maverick gives into each of his students. Um, and I think that makes him very likable. You know, he's kind of, he's a likable protagonist in general, but I feel like the plot helps further that. Um, and kind of, as a viewer, it helps our investment into him as a protagonist. Um, I think each student is distinct and memorable, and I think you, we, we really come to care about each character. Um, I think a perfect example of this is the scene where they are practicing like that, that tight pull up, you know, that altitude increase, um, and Coyote blacks out. And I think as a viewer, you kind of feel that moment of, oh no, we're not even to mission yet, and here he is potentially about to die in front of our eyes and all the other students, um, and we have that sort of moment of panic along with everybody else. 
Um, and then you come out of that scene and you're like, dang, I really care about these people. And I think that that's a great example of that moment to just kind of, it, it's like a, a, like a, like a mid story gauge of like, how much are you invested? And for me, I was all in at that point. Um, you know, Coyote is kind of one of those characters that doesn't have quite as much, um, I mean, he does, but like compared to like Rooster or Hangman, you know, he doesn't have quite as much weight to the story, but even we still care about him enough in that moment. And I think, again, it kind of just has to do with the fact that each pilot, while perhaps stereotypical, um, we've come to, to just have an investment in. Um, I think that there is a very clear arc of growth in Maverick and all of the students. Um, another example of this is sort of we're at the end of the mission. We feel like we finally sort of like made it out of the worst of things. They are like approaching the, um, air, the, the carrier. And here's another enemy plane gonna shoot them out of the sky. And they're like, crud, we have no bullets. We have no missiles. We are potentially just gonna crash into the ocean. And you know, both Maverick and Rooster are like, holy crud. This feels very familiar and you're like oh no what's gonna happen and then hangman shows up and basically like saves the day um and so you get that moment you're like okay great hangman got his moment or whatever but then when they get back to the carrier and you have this moment between like rooster and hangman and it's like you can tell that like there is a genuine appreciation from both parties and so you feel like okay Sure, it's maybe stereotypical that, like, you've gone through heck and back, but, and you've gotten closer, you've bonded through it, but you still want to see that. There's still satisfaction in seeing that from your characters, and so I think that every character that we've come to learn about throughout this character, throughout the story, we have that moment toward the end. We see genuine growth. There is a, a shift in their attitude, perspective what they've learned, how they've applied that learning. Every single character, we have some tiny, even the tiniest of moments. Um, but I think particularly those big moments are in Maverick and Rooster. Um, and even the other admirals, I feel like you have a little bit of like an arc shift. So I don't think there's one character, except maybe Penny, um, that stays the same from beginning to end of film. And I think that's very satisfying. It's a character feels like a throwaway character if that doesn't happen. So I'm glad that that happens for basically everybody. Um, the only other note I have is I wonder if Miles Teller really played the piano in that scene and the bar. Because uh, I think it's a that was kind of the perfect way to like fan service, um, you know, kind of recreate that scene from the first movie. I wonder if he was really playing piano or if that was all faked. I don't know. Just a thought I had while we were watching it. Um, so three out of three uh, points for characters for me. Yeah. Um, one thing real quick before we move to the next category that I forgot to mention, and I really think this movie needs to be commended on in the realm of characters and plot. Um, and I wasn't sure where to put it. That's probably why I forgot to mention it. But I really appreciate the fact that you see how Goose's death has affected both Maverick and Rooster. Yeah. Yet it's not the central focus of their entire character. And I feel like it's so easy for film and TV shows 
to say your entire identity is that you're still coping with trauma. Right. And I think it's just a realistic perspective of somebody that has experienced loss and has, in a sense, moved on the best they could. And yet they are still affected by that loss, but it doesn't consume their entire identity. Right. So I think that that just, I forgot to mention that but I think that it absolutely needs to be commended in this film because it's so uncommon. It's It was a good snapshot of like overcoming trauma, whereas it's still part of your past and it's not ignored in that way, but it doesn't feel like a hang up. Right. You know? Right. All right. Next category is aesthetic. Out of two possible points for aesthetics, I gave this two points. Um, I think the aesthetics in this film are one of the most flawlessly executed cinematically effects, you know, transitions, scene changes, shots, establishing shots. I mean, just one of the most flawless films I've really seen in this day and age. Absolutely 100% have to commend the film crew and the the lengths that were went to to capture as much of this film in camera as possible and the very, very minimal use of CGI and special effects. The only CGI that I really noticed kind of obviously in this film were shots in the, during the mission that they're running, the shots of the surface to air missiles um, looked CGI. They didn't look like real missiles, which fine, don't put real missiles in the movie. That's probably not the best idea. Um, but I would recommend for safety reasons, no real missiles. Right. And then, of course, the explosions of the aircraft and the, the targets that they're hitting um, did look like they were CGI. They didn't look like in-camera explosions. Um, so other than that, everything, whether it is or not, looks like it's filmed in camera. And I think that absolutely needs to be commended in this film because nobody does that anymore. You can see behind the scenes shots of every Marvel movie and it's one big green screen with people in motion capture suits, not mm-hmm. even in costumes. So just the the way films are produced now has changed. And that's just that just comes with the time and it comes with, you know, changing times, change of money, change of, you know, production ability. Quality has just changed. So you can watch a movie and enjoy it with a lot of digital effects in play. But I think it just makes it even more refreshing and engaging when you really feel like you're watching a real plane fly these crazy maneuvers and you're watching the actors inside this plane that is flying these crazy maneuvers and you're seeing it. it like physically taking place on a screen. I just think that that just has to be recognized in this in this category. Additionally, I think that the the score and the use of the songs in this film are done really well. They kind of start I like that they start you off by playing Danger Zone. I kind of felt like let's hurry up and get it out of the way. <laughs> I think it's be- but I think it's used best as an establishing song rather than waiting until the high intense moment and now they're playing Danger Zone. And, and all kind of a sudden of, you're snapped out of the immersion. Right, you're immersion. just pulled right yeah. out of the immersion. Um, the shots during that opening sequence of the aircraft carrier and the planes landing on the aircraft carrier and, and the ground crew, all of that, absolutely beautiful. It looks great. It 
again, brings you in and sets you up for the film you're about to watch. The shots of the, the dramatic shots. So shots of the characters when they're having these really intense dramatic moments feel dramatic. They don't feel like an action film is trying to be suddenly jarringly become dramatic. It feels like you're watching these really heartfelt moments take place. It's shot really well. It's filmed really well. The lighting is really good in those kinds of moments. Um, the dramatic shots just feel organic, you know, particularly with any, any scene that Iceman, you know, Val Kilmer is physically in, it just feels like it fits, mm -hmm. you know, shots of Rooster, uh, comparing him to his dad. The flashback scenes are done really well. It, the flashback scenes in this movie don't feel like fan service. They feel like they're part of the story. It doesn't feel campy or corny. The action and the aircraft shots are just fun to watch. They're, it's kind of pure chaos in that final act, but it conveys the story really well. And I feel like it would be really easy for all of those action sequences in the training situations and in the final mission, it'd be really easy for you to get, you know, lost or nauseous or disoriented, but you're able to still follow the story through all of that action and intensity. The shot of Maverick's plane inverting onto the other shot, so he, when he inverts his plane over, over Rooster's, Rooster's plane, yeah. is just, it's just fantastic. It's fun. It's yeah. just so fun to watch. The shots at the end where the enemy pilot kind of does that hard stop and he, he pulls the plane straight perpendicular to the ground and which causes his plane to stop and Maverick's plane flies right past him. Like that, that shot is just stunning to right. watch. Um, and I do think um, one thing that was really surprising to me is the sound editing is just done so well. Like I've said on previous episodes, one of my pet peeves is when the action scene is so loud, you feel like you have to turn the TV down. I felt like in watching this in the theater, I, you know, seen it twice. I never had a moment where I felt like, oh my gosh, this is so loud. Like all I heard the dialogue and that was great, but now it's too loud with all the action scenes. I felt like the sound was mixed really well in this, which is I think really hard to do in action films. Um, one thing I did not take points off for it, but I really just don't like the Lady Gaga song at the end. I just, I think it doesn't fit. It's, it's really kind of annoying to me. It's so bad. Like, it's a bad ending to the movie. I'm almost disappointed that like, I'm listening to this song that is just, ugh, at the and end of the film. I think we both acknowledge that Lady Gaga is very talented and is a good songwriter, but I just wouldn't not have this picked one. that song. I just wouldn't not have picked this that one. song. No. So I didn't take points off for that. I felt like that would be kind of unfair because I, I, I don't know. I just really feel like that would be unfair. Um, but two out of two, I, I think that for me, all the points could be given just because of the in-camera action sequences. Um, and yet you don't lose any of that dramatic tension when the movie's trying to show you that it still is a movie with heart. It's not just an action film. And I feel like aesthetically you feel that it, the, all of the visuals just compel that feeling in you that this is an action film with a lot of heart. So two out of two for me. Okay. So for me, I gave one and a half points out of two for aesthetics. There were a couple things that I didn't particularly love, love, love. Um, so yeah, 
uh, I'll talk about that. Um, first of all, um, let me actually do a little research here. I want to find out who the first AC on this is. Because tell, big please kudos. Please tell our viewers what that means. Oh, first assistant camera is the person who is typically... So typically when you're filming a movie of any reasonable budget, you're going to have multiple cameras going at any given time. And so you're going to have your uh, first assistant camera is going to be the assistant to the cinematographer on your first or most important camera of that shot. You're also going to have your second camera, maybe your third or fourth camera. And then, of course, those would be your second assistant camera, your third assistant camera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so your first AC, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so some magazine says input from first AC Dan Ming. So I'm going to assume that that's correct. Dan Ming, you are killing it. There are a, a billion shots, it feels like. That is an exaggeration. But there are a lot of shots where they rack the focus super quick to somebody either closer to camera or away from camera or somebody's moving from far away to close or vice versa. And that dude is racking focus like a pro. Go, Dan, go. So for those of you that... Uh, don't may not know or you know especially if you're a first-time listener um uh tori has a degree in film um <laughs> so she pays attention to a lot of these details so but for the ignorant people like myself okay, explain, expl explain explain what that means focus. so on a on a camera so like for instance on your iphone when you take a video that thing is auto-focusing on whatever it believes the subject is. However, on like a film camera, um, like a digital film camera or like a regular film camera, um, you have to manually choose what you're focused on. And that goes by literal like distance from lens. So um, when you rack focus, you, during rehearsals, you literally have to take a tape measure and measure the closest point to the farthest away point that your subject is, or if you have two subjects that you're changing focus from one subject to the other, you gotta measure literally how far away that is. And then you have like, you make marks on the focus ring of your camera. So while your cinematographer is literally holding the camera, you know, starting and stopping the camera roll, you've got your first assistant camera here who literally has his hand on a ring around the lens and as that subject moves, or it's time to move the focus, they have to precisely move from one point to another with that focus ring. It's difficult. It sounds maybe easy. It is not, trust me. I have messed up rack focus more times than I can count. It is difficult, especially in some of these like really fast action sequences or when somebody is moving quickly. So. I don't know how many takes that may have taken, but they looked great, the uh, the ending cuts that we got. So big kudos to Dan Ming. I really hope that you are the assistant camera and that magazine that I found on Google is correct. Because um, great job. Um, so I think, again, kind of echoing on some of the things that you said, the stunts, the plane work, I love how much is all practical. Um, this kind of goes back to like, I feel like this movie in general was just like kind of 
refreshing and it kind of went back to like an old sort of standard for storytelling. I feel like we kind of went back to an old standard for um, effects and I think it's good. We, I'm tired of CGI everything. Is it, is CGI hard to make and should be commended? Yes, but like sometimes I don't want it. And I think that it's great to have a movie where everything that you see on the screen literally happened and they filmed it happening like that. And it's impressive that this happened not by computer, but by human hands. And so for that reason, I do think it should be commended. <clears throat> um, I think that there are lots of shaky shots and blurry backgrounds. Um, this could be a problem if you have any sort of like motion sickness tendency, vertigo tendency, etc. I do have vertigo. It's something that I struggle with. Um, it kind of comes and goes in waves. Um, but thankfully, I never had a moment where I felt like I was too dizzy. Um, I think there were like a couple shots where I kind of like closed my eyes for a quick second, but it wasn't anything to the point of making me super uncomfortable. Um, so that's something that I did consider and why I didn't give full points is because I feel like somebody who is very easily triggered by motion sickness could potentially have a problem with this movie. It's not necessarily the fault of the movie or that it's done poorly, but I think it's something to consider um, because, you know, there are lots of people who do have, you know, who, who struggle with that sort of tendency. Um, so I just kind of wanted to consider that. <clears throat> I think the best shot in the whole movie is when John Hamm is looking for Maverick and all the pilots before he finds them on the beach. And he walks out onto, like, right outside the hangar there. I don't know if it's technically considered, like, the runway or whatever. But all of those planes are lined up, and he comes out in the middle of them, and the sun's, like, starting to set. And, oh, my gosh, that shot is beautiful! I'm assuming they put it up on a crane, the camera up on a crane or something. But it's like... Is it necessarily a story plot? Yeah, okay, maybe, because he's like, you, where are the old people at? I gotta go, where are old plants? But, like, just the shot alone. I wouldn't care if it had no bearing on the plot. It's just a beautiful shot. That's my favorite shot in the whole movie. Um, I appreciate that they let us see the height difference between Tom Cruise and Miles Teller. It would have been so dang easy to put Tom Cruise on an Apple box, and I am so glad they did not, because... An Apple box is also a film term. Yeah, it's literally listeners. just, it doesn't, it's not actually like a box with apples in it. It's just a big wooden box, and they come in varying heights, and they use them all the time, especially in like rom-coms when your like female lead is going to be significantly shorter than your male lead, but they want to have all these like shots, like intimate shots over each other's shoulders, you know, of the other person's face, but you still want like the shoulder and head of like back of the head of like the, anyway, but they, they really can only achieve that by putting the shorter person on an apple box because that's how you get the nice height. Anyway, they didn't do that with uh, Tom Cruise and Miles Teller, and I think what happens is we get this great image of, like, Tom Cruise is the protagonist, and, like, he's the hotshot pilot who, like, knows what he's doing, he's got the authority here, and then you have Miles Teller, who's easily got six inches on the man, and he, they get, especially, like, the scenes where they're, like, 
there's tension, you know, there's conflict between them. And it's like Miles Teller is towering over this man. And they could have make it, made a choice to make them equal height so that you feel like there's a like they're on the same level here. But I think it's a testament to this might sort of loop back into like characters are acting, but Tom Cruise never wavers in presence just because he's shorter than Miles Teller. And I think that's a testament to him as an actor and also a great storytelling because you've got the characters, let's think of it just as characters, you got Maverick and Rooster. Rooster is larger than Maverick, but Maverick still has just as much presence and authority in that scene that Rooster does. So I know this is maybe something that the average person doesn't realize or recognize, but it's something that I definitely took note of because a lot of times in film and shows and theater even, height equals power, and it's used that way often. Um, that's why they'll sometimes put uh, your antagonist higher on an Apple box, platform shoes, things like that. Um, antagonist females will often be in heels, that sort of thing. It's because we have this sort of idea that height equals power. And so I'm glad that they show us the height difference and still give us the opportunity that in this case, height does not equal power. And so I think it's like a storytelling choice. Um, is it as intentional as I'm making it seem? I have no idea. Maybe I'm extrapolating here. But for me, I found it pleasing to see. Um, the reason that I didn't give it full two points, though, um, aside from the potential for motion sickness, is I think the reading at the beginning, while maybe necessary for establishment, isn't my favorite. It made me feel kind of Star Wars-y. <laughs> and I was like, hmm... Well, okay, I guess if we have to read at the very beginning, and I like reading, readers are leaders, but it just felt a little bit too close to like a Star Wars opening for my liking. I maybe would have chosen something else, but this is maybe preference. The other thing is that dang Lady Gaga song. I agree with you. It's not good. I It made me want to laugh at the end instead of being like, oh, yay, it's the end, everybody's happy, we have a good resolution. Instead, the Lady Gaga song started, and I was like, Ew. It just pulled me out of, Same. The, of the film. Exactly. I was like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this at all. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I didn't give it full two out of point, er, two, two, two out of points. I didn't give it full two out of two points, so only one and a half for aesthetics for me. Alrighty. So... Last, well, second to last category, personal taste and preference. Out of two points, as always, um, is our allotted points for this category. I gave it one and a half points out of two. So this movie is just fun. It's just completely and I would say excellently fun. It's fun to watch. It's really, really enjoyable. It's a throwback to films that told a story with fun and believable characters, high stake action, and enough room left for just some genuine heart of the film. Um, I think that having in-camera action without green screen and excessive CGI just added to the energy and fun. I think it's just a palpable experience when 
you feel like you're just watching something really happen before your eyes. Um, my only complaint, honestly, I, like I said earlier, I've only seen the first Top Gun once and I personally don't particularly care for that film. I, I just don't like it. I didn't watch it when I was young and growing up. I watched it as an adult and my standards for films kind of changed as I got older. And I, I genuinely believe that you do need to watch the first film to fully appreciate this film. I think you can enjoy this film without watching the original Top Gun. Can you kind of piece things together? Maybe with a second rewatch, you kind of figure things out. Yes. But if you're watching this for the first time, I, I personally believe that you're not going to be able to fully appreciate this movie without watching the first film. And that's kind of a complaint because I don't like the first film. So I put that factor into personal taste and preference because I don't particularly like the first film and this film is a true sequel. Um, and also I just, I don't really like Penny as a character, which I kind of already touched on, but overall, I think this movie is just very respectful to the original film for people that were fans of the original film. It's respectful to the military and the people that are serving in the American military and particularly in the Navy. Um, it's very respectful to them and to their work. I think that it's just overall just really, I think it very easily could have been a sequel that only focused on the trauma that Maverick went through. You know, here it is 20 something years later and he's just still just a broken man because of what happened with Goose. No, he's a pilot and he moves on and he's still the same kind of man that he was in the first movie, but he's an even better man and he becomes an even better man throughout this film. It's just a great story, even though there are some kind of typical, stereotypical aspects. It's a great story with great characters. It's fun to watch and it doesn't feel like fan service, although it is still respectful to the fans of the original film. So, Overall, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. One and a half points out of two. Okay. For personal taste and preference, I also gave it one and a half points out of two. Uh, the good things are um, that I do think it is um, kind of, like you said, the perfect sequel. I think that it gives us enough uh, tastes from the first movie uh, so that if you are a fan of the first movie, you feel satisfied. Um, and I think the one scene that I think they got away with basically recreating was the great balls of fire scene and I think it was perfectly done tasteful but they didn't linger on it too long and it also kind of used it as like a plot device to see kind of like where Maverick was like mentally seeing that happen again before his eyes so I think that it's perfectly acceptable the way that they did that if you want to call that fan service which I think it could technically fall into that um I think they do it perfectly um, I think just genuinely overall, this movie is executed so perfectly that I just can't help but like it. Um, it it's just likable from from start to finish. Um, I think it doesn't really matter kind of what sort of movie watcher you are. I think that there's something in this film that will appeal to you. Um, and I think that is due partly to its simplicity um, and how they just take a few really important core elements and then they make a story out of it and then wrap it up nicely and you feel like it's got its nice little bow on it by the end of it. Um, the reason I didn't give it full points though is because um, genuinely 
this is not the type of genre or movie that I would pick from a lineup. I think had my sister not seen this movie and told me how enjoyable she did, she had watching a enjoyable time she had watching it. Um, and she didn't spoil anything for me. She just told me like how genuinely good she thought it was. And so my curiosity was piqued. So that's why I went and saw it again with her. Um, but, um, just kind of like lining up movies like by genre or like type. This is not the sort of thing that I would normally gravitate toward. I personally am not super huge on action. It's not my favorite genre. Can I enjoy action movies? Yes. Do I watch action movies? Yes. But is it my favorite if given the choice? No, it's not. So because of that, I feel like it kind of falls under the umbrella of like, would watch, but maybe not at first pick. So that's why I gave it one and a half points out of two. Cool. All right. So last category, as always, is creativity. So out of total of one point for this, um, I gave it half a point. And one of the things that we kind of take into consideration with creativity is if something is just iconic, and I, I don't think anyone could argue that Top Gun is an iconic movie. Um, I, I wrote that it's been creating pilots since 1986 <laughs> because it pretty much is. Almost everybody that joins the military and wants to be a pilot at some point has either enjoyed or even more likely was influenced by their experience watching the first Top Gun. So mm -hmm. it's completely an iconic 80s film. Every 80s film trope is found in the original Top Gun. So this movie had some extremely big shoes to fill. Right. And it could have very easily been a horrible sequel. It could mm -hmm. have just been bad. It could mm -hmm. have been boring or it could have been too political or it could have been, you know, a, a number of things. And I think that it was just done so well and in a day and age where sequels to movies or spin-offs or reboots are just rampant and yeah. they're all so bad you've got to give this film credit for doing that well so the fact that top gun is iconic and the fact that this movie had a huge ask at being a sequel to such an iconic movie and it followed through with that. That's why I gave it points for creativity. I didn't give it a full full point for creativity because kind of like I said when we talked about plot, I don't think this movie really did anything new. So while I completely acknowledge that it's iconic, it did a great job, it holds up, I, I think this movie will definitely become an icon and remain iconic and that people in future generations are going to be let's watch the two top gun movies you're going to watch them together they're going to come in pairs the same way that star wars mm -hmm. is okay let's watch the star wars trilogy you know the yeah. the original star wars trilogy people lump all the three of those together they lump the three lord of the rings films together i think that this film will become iconic down the road but as a film, in and of itself, solely as a film, without the Top Gun attached to it, it doesn't really do anything new. So for that, I gave it half points for creativity because it, you know, just it's, I, I really believe it's going to remain an icon and part of kind of the Top Gun canon. Okay. 
Uh, for creativity, again, same. I have half a point out of one. Uh, pretty much all my thoughts mirror yours. Um, so yes to Iconic. I don't want to like rehash everything that you said. I just kind of want to wrap it up with this thought. It's not super new, but I still think it's super good. And that's pretty much how I weighed the creativity of it. And, you know, also echoing your thoughts of its iconicness. That is also, I'm in full agreement with that. So... That means my overall score is 8.5 out of 10. And my overall score for Top Gun Maverick is 7 out of 10. Okay. Sounds good. All right, so shall we jump into lightning round? Yes. Okay, lightning round question number one. Favorite character? I think I would say Maverick. I just think he's such a good like a good protagonist. I think I just have to say Maverick. Like, pick the obvious. Okay. I mean, he's just so easy to root for. I think okay. I would just pick him. I would pick either Bob or I cannot remember his name, but the guy who's like real close to Maverick in the beginning. And then toward the end, he says, I don't like that. Look, Maverick. And Maverick's His name's Hundo. Hundo. Yes. So either Bob or Hundo. Um, I just, I think they're both great characters. I know they're smaller secondary characters, but I just think that they add a lot of dynamic to the characters that we, the other main characters that we have. Okay. uh, Least favorite character. Penny. I think I, I just, you know, and again, it's not because of the portrayal and it's not even really because of who she is or what she does, but I just, she just seems so useless. So I would agree. Yeah. Penny for least favorite character. I mean, her daughter has more of a plot <laughs> movement than she does. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's like, why are you, why are you sailing a boat with Maverick? <laughs> like, what was the point of that whole scene? It's yeah. Like, Here in the Navy, I'm the sailor in the Navy. Yeah. Like, okay, Wow. Is yeah. this supposed to be romantic chemistry? <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> okay, so. most most underrated side or minor character? Oh, I I, I was going to say Hundo for okay. this for this guy. I Oh, go ahead. I also, I think that uh, the female pilot Phoenix. Yeah. I think she is extremely underrated mm-hmm. because I just think that overall her portrayal as a female fighter pilot, while that's her being a female fighter pilot is not her whole identity, is just phenomenal. So I think that she's really underrated because she could have easily just been like the token woman pilot. Right, yeah. And instead... She holds her own. She's just... She's not just as in like less than, but that she is on equal importance with the other pilots. Right. So... I agree. I would say, um, for me, the most underrated side or minor character is Warlock, who is the other instructor that is, he kind of plays almost like this mediator middleman between yeah. Maverick and He's a great John character. Hamm's character. I cannot remember the Cyclone. name. Cyclone. He plays a, he's like a great sort of like mediator middleman. He kind of like calms some of that tension. He doesn't have a ton of lines, but everything he says has a lot of weight and importance. I feel like uh, both Maverick and Cyclone respect him and what he has to say. And so in those scenes where it's the three of them together, I feel like he deserves more attention than he gets. So I would say Warlock is probably my favorite side or minor character. Cool. Um, the best scene for you? Ooh, that's tough. I don't know. I, mm. like best scene or like my favorite favorite scene. scene. It, either. Oh, okay. Either. I, 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 you know, as 
much as I kind of knocked on the tropiness of it, I really like the whole sequence where if uh, Maverick pings him, then they have to do push-ups. I just, I think that's really fun and enjoyable. Um, another scene, I think it goes kind of hand in hand with that. It's it's not as long of a scene, but one of my favorite moments is when Maverick flies the course himself. I think that both of those highlighting Maverick's skill, yet these students are still kind of like learning and you see that they're extremely talented. Like they're the top of their caliber, you know, they're top caliber pilots and yet they're struggling uh, with that whole yeah. dogfighting kind of scene. I, yeah. So I just, I enjoy that a lot. I think it, it does a really good job for the plot, but then it's also just really fun to watch. Yeah. I did talk about my best scene, my favorite scene aesthetically, um, kind of during the, the main talk. I'm going to include my favorite moment, um, and that's at the near the very end of the movie um, when they come back, they're safely back on the carrier, and uh, Maverick thanks Rooster for coming back for him, and Rooster says, it's what my dad would have done. And oh, lump in the throat immediately is like uh, both times I watched it, I was like, Ugh! but it's such a good moment mm -hmm. without feeling campy or cheesy. Like it just feels genuine. Um, and, and I think it's just kind of a nice way to like wrap that moment. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I think that's the best like scene or moment is just that tiny little exchange between them. But it holds a lot of weight. Cool. Um, is there anything you would have directed differently? I, I never really liked the scene. In scene, I mean, we've only seen it twice. Each of us have only seen the movie twice. The scene when Tom Cruise is at Penny's house and he like climbs out the window and her daughter catches him. I just I'm and she, he says to her like, just don't break her heart. I I don't know. I feel like that it's supposed to be played for laughs, but I would have kind of changed that a different way. I don't know how. Maybe. I would have had her kind of have, I think her saying that to Maverick is kind of important because that kind of further explains their history. If we're really going with the fact that Penny's a necessary character. Um, but I, I don't know. I would have approached that differently. I just think that it, him, her saying that through the kitchen window is just kind of weird. Like it doesn't have any weight to it because it's kind of played for laughs that she's catching him. And I feel like that, you know, sure, you could have played it for laughs, but I don't know. I feel like it was meant to have some serious undertones and you just kind of lose that because you're laughing at the fact that He's Tom Cruise just jumped out a window. Yeah. Um, another thing I probably would have directed differently, I would not have had Penny present at Iceman's funeral. I just think that's so improper. Like, why is she there at, at his... I, I just think that's yeah. just bizarre. But... Okay. Yeah. Um, I think... The only thing that I can really think of is when the mission starts near the end of the movie and you've got like your stereotypical dudes with the headphones at the computers just like announcing stuff and it feels so flat, like just that part. And it's like, yeah, I get it. These unnamed people at the computers, you know, they're doing their job and I'm sure they're following protocol or whatever, but like can we have a little bit of emotion or life? And it just felt very like robotic. So I think I would have just tried to like spice that up a little bit, and, you know, give those people just like a little bit of character flesh, you know, even if we don't name them, but like give them something to work with here other than these lines that they're gonna recite, you know, for four seconds and then be done. Like, so that's really the only thing that I think I would have changed. Um, last question. If you were a fighter pilot, 
what would your call sign be? I have no idea. Really? Yeah. How serious does mine have to be? Well, the thing is, is like in, in like pilot culture, you're not supposed to pick your own. True. Like you're, somebody gives it to you. Well, what like would you want it to be? Surrounding I guess is the a question. memorable thing. So should we name each other? Yeah, I think that would be better. Okay. So All right. that would be better. So if we name each other's call sign. Okay. So so if I were to give you one, uh huh, I think it would be Bangarang. Ooh, give me a good one. I was gonna pick something like comical for you, but now that's I feel fine. Like I you can pick a you good can one. give me one comically. Um. <laughs> I okay so. I feel like <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no no no. So mine has like mine has like levels, a couple levels. Okay. So you gotta you gotta bear with me. There's okay. some lore? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. So you know how like you're I mean, you're short. That's not uh-huh. a secret to anybody. Except for our listeners that have never, never seen, seen me you. before. <laughs> and you know, this is a podcast, so but you know how so everybody would just assume like, oh, short stack would be like if you're short. But I think you would I would instead of short stack I would go with silver dollar like the silver dollar pancakes oh. that you get <laughs> okay and because you're a rare find oh thanks for that <laughs> yeah so I would I'd probably pick silver dollar okay I'll accept it <laughs> so because you don't find those very often nice so and you're special you're my best friend thank so. you <laughs> I gotta gotta do a little kiss up at it. But I like mine. You can call me that anytime. Bangarang? Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us this episode. We look forward to having you back. Um, make sure you follow us on our social medias. We have Twitter at Lion and Mouse Pod and Instagram at Lion and Mouse Podcast. Our website is lionandmousepodcast.com. That, uh, that's where you can find our rules of engagement, notes from each episode, and we have a suggestion box where you can tell us what you'd like us to review next. We, uh, you can also support us on Patreon. Uh, you'll receive gifts, exclusive content for that additional support. And if you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. That really helps us out uh, kind of moving forward with the direction and the feedback. Uh, that's going to help us a lot. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll catch you in the next one.